You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I am glad to be here and to share with you some of my history and some of my life and what I worked on. But before I do that, I want to take you to the Word of God first, because that was dear to me. I want you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. When you get to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Hang tight there. And I want to pray for us this morning. And I'm going to actually pray one of my prayers to you. Second Timothy 1, verse 6. Let me pray for us to begin. Almighty God, eternal and compassionate, whose word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Open and enlighten our hearts that we may understand purely and clearly thy words. May they transform us according to this exact understanding that we may never be displeasing to thy divine majesty through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let me read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6-14 through 14, where Paul says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is God's Word. And I hope that you know whom you have believed in. And I want to encourage you today to know your Savior more in His Word and then to hold fast to Him. I'm from Switzerland, and one historian has written about my homeland, and so I like this, what he wrote. And he said this, Switzerland belongs to those countries whose historic significance stands in inverse proportion to their size. It's a smaller country 
God often elects small things for great purposes. The land of the snow-capped Alps is the source of mighty rivers and of the Reformed faith, as Germany is the home of the Lutheran faith. And the principles of the Swiss Reformation, like the waters of the Rhine and the Rhone, traveled westward with the course of the sun to France, Holland, England, Scotland, and to a new continent, which I and Calvin knew only by name. Compared with intellectual and moral achievements, the conquests of the sword dwindle into insignificance. Ideas rule the world. Ideas are immortal. During the Middle Ages, the whole country, like the rest of Europe, was subject to the Roman See, and no religion was tolerated but the Roman Catholic. The church in Switzerland was corrupt and as much in need of reform as in Germany. And this, my homeland. I actually grew up in Switzerland. I was born on January 1st, 1484, which makes me about 537 years old today. But I'm still getting around. I was actually born seven weeks after Martin Luther. He and I are very similar in age. Anyway, I grew up in a lowly cottage in the village of Wild House. And I have a somewhat picture of my land your pastor tells me you have technology. I told him where I was from, and he kindly put this together to show you. And maybe you can't see it, but it is a beautiful area. And if you look at it, there are snow-capped peaks and, and all sorts of beauty and creation. And I think that influenced me growing up as I would talk about different parts of creation. But the next slide is a picture of my house. I hear it's a museum these days, but that's our little cottage where I grew up, and then the next picture is my kitchen where food was cooked for me. That's a little bit about where I grew up. My family was one of the leading families in this village of Wild House. And from there, I went to a college in Bern, and then from there, later studied at the University of Vienna, and I learned there all sorts of instruments like the lute and the harp and the violin and others. But one interesting note in my life is as I grew in my understanding of the Scriptures and would hold to the Scriptures as strong as I could, I ended up banning instruments in the worship service, even though I played them wonderfully because I did not see that in the New Testament teaching. Now, your pastor might disagree with me and point me to the Psalms where there's listed about the lutes and harps, but that's for him to deal with. As for me, we didn't have instruments like this in our service. It was purely just us uh, singing. Well, from there, I went on to the University of Basel, and I became Master Ulrich in 1506. But it was there at Basel that my professor, Thomas Wittenbach, really opened my eyes to several abuses of the church, of the Roman Catholic Church here in 1506 in that time period. He especially would attack the indulgences and the mass and the, the celibacy of the priesthood, which we were not supposed to marry. You should know indulgences, maybe a way to help you understand them. There's something 
like a ticket or something that could be purchased to forgive sin, either of one who had departed or one who remained. And there was this idea of purchasing that remission of sins. But my professor, Thomas, helped me understand, and he said this to me. He said, not to rely on the keys of the church, but to seek the remission of sins alone in the death of Christ and to open access to it by the key of faith. You didn't have to buy Christ and His forgiveness of sins. So there are great names in the Reformation, like Luther and Calvin who came after me, years after me. But there's names like Thomas that will maybe never be known that were also part of this great period of reformation in the church. And I thank the Lord for him. Coming out of the university, I was ordained as a priest. And from the years 1506 to 1516, I served as a pastor in Glarus. And here I began to learn Greek so that I could study the New Testament and translate it myself and look into what the Scriptures said. Unlike Luther, I didn't have any lightning bolt type of moments. It was rather just a continual study of God's Word that I began to shake off the traditions of Rome. They had never had a very stronghold on me anyway. But that process began at Glarus, and it was completed at Zurich. There's one thing you should know about me, though, to be really honest. You should know that though I was brave and I could stand before 600 or 900 and preach and, and was out on the battlefield at times, I was also a sinner who needed Jesus. In my early life, in my early years of a priest, though we were supposed to be celibate, I had immoral relations. And I was not a man of God. I was quite immoral at times. And even later on in my life, if you study some of what people have written about me, you will find flaws in me. Well, that's okay. Maybe you have Christian leaders you find flaws in. That only points us one place to whom I love to profess Jesus Christ. He was flawless. We don't have to look back on Jesus' years where He would have erred and done the wrong thing and go, oh, I wish He didn't do that. Jesus Christ was perfect and He is our Savior. We should never look to mere man as saints. We look to Jesus as in uh, our Lord and Savior. Well, I went on from Glarus. I went to a covenant convent. I'm sorry, I'm 537 years old. I sometimes forget. A convent, that's where it was, in Enselden, where I began to attack there the sales of indulgences. And there was one named Samson. He is who I attacked. He was considered the Tetzel of Switzerland, if you know anything about Tetzel in Luther's Germany. There I preached against abuses, and I taught the people to worship Christ, not the Virgin Mary. At the entrance to the gate of the convent, I took down an inscription promising the remission of sins, and I preached the purest philosophy of Christ from the fountain. And then, by December 10th in the year 1518, I was elected to come as a preacher to Zurich, to the great minster, the Grossmünster, the principal church in Zurich, which was really, if you know about Luther, my friend in Wittenberg, Zurich was the Wittenberg of Switzerland. And many of those in Zurich had heard me preach before when they had come towards 
Einseldein. And so in January, and in fact on my birthday, do you remember? It was January 1st, 1484. On my birthday in 1519, I began the continuous exposition of the Scriptures in Matthew. And I continued to do this to bring the whole life of Christ before the mind of my people. You may have heard this was not normal at the time. This is not something that that we did at the time. But the people loved it and wanted to hear from the Word. And I wanted to deliver the Word to them because the Word is central and we must live our lives according to all the Scriptures and what they say and test anything against what Scripture says. There are not a lot of my sermons in print that you can read, but there are a few and not a lot that are really helpful for a service like yours. One of my sermons on Providence came, became a whole book, which I'm sure you wouldn't want me to read all day long, but maybe you would. So I have a little shorter sermon to share with you, and would you allow me to read a portion of it? Before I do that, I want to take you to the book of Matthew, if you would turn there to Matthew 16. I want to look at Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28. I can't remember for sure what text my sermon started with, but this one will do, and I think it sets us up for what I will talk about. Listen to God's Word again in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I want to read to you a bit of my sermon. It's called The Shepherd Who Is the True Pastor comes from the year 1523. I'd already been preaching for a while in Zurich. And I'm speaking about leadership in the church, but I think there's something here for each one of you to learn and grow from. I begin this way. Therefore Christ teaches to be ready to bear the cross daily. For persecution grows the more the divine Word grows. The more that grows, the more the flesh is angered. Therefore, they are wrong who think they will soon obtain rest, that they will not have to suffer suffer great persecution for the sake of the Word of God. Even though the people come to the Word of God in droves, nevertheless, there will be opposition enough from the high ones of this time. Even if they were not there, then all the more the false teachers will stand up who have more knowledge than love. And for the sake of a hazelnut, will wound all the simple and quiet ones to show how learned they are. In short, every day there is a new cross. It must be so. Here the soul is not only taken for the bodily life, but for human feeling, intention, or counsel. Whoever retreats from the Word of God for the sake of this ephemeral life will lose his life. Whoever depends on his own knowledge, counsel, or feeling thinking therewith to save himself, will destroy his own soul. Therefore, the shepherd must deny himself. 
throw off his self-love and certainly prepare himself to bear each day a new cross. Christ Jesus Himself did so, always subjugating His will to that of the Father, bearing every cross until He came to the honor of sitting at the right hand of God. When now the shepherd or any person empties himself in this way, then the next thing is to be filled again with God. And that is, he has all his confidence and consolation in God. This Christ demonstrated in his disciples whom he cares for not only with temporal nourishment, since they follow him, in that they answered that nothing was lacking. When he asked them whether they lacked anything as he had sent them out without staff and sack, Christ also breathed on them and before he bestowed the office of preaching on them, said to them, Take the Holy Spirit, for none is suitable for feeding the sheep unless he has emptied himself and only God dwells in him and speaks out of him. Therefore he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem until they had received the promised Spirit. When they had received it with much joy and rejoicing, they began from that hour on to preach. Thus must the shepherd lead his sheep into no other pasture than that in which he has previously been nourished. That is, in the knowledge and trust of God. So must he always know God beforehand and have all his solace in him. Following that, he should begin to preach as Christ began. Repent! It was with this form that the forerunner John the Baptist also began. Now, no one will repent who does not know how evil he is. Therefore, here must sin be preached and then salvation. For always the illness must be recognized before one takes the medicine. In Luke twenty four forty seven. Jesus links repentance or remorse and forgiveness with one another, saying, thus in His name, that is in Christ, repentance or remorse and forgiveness of sins must be preached to all people. See, here are the gospel and repentance connected. For no one really rejoices in the gospel who has not previously rightly recognized the disease of sin. Now if a person has recognized his misery and found after that salvation in Christ Jesus, it is not seemly any longer to live in sin. Therefore, the shepherd must also carefully prevent the washed sheep's falling again in the excrement. That is, that after the believers have come into a knowledge of their Savior and have experienced the friendly grace of God, that they should thereafter lead a blameless life so that they no longer walk in death. And then here I also spoke about the fear of affliction. Christ shows us how to attain the point that we are without fear. And He says this in John 16.33, These things I have, have I spoken to you that you have peace in Me. You will have anxiety or affliction in the world, but do not be afraid, for I have overcome the world. Here we see the pioneer, Christ. He calls us to be untroubled and go forward in His work, although at the same time we're faced with affliction. The world cannot do anything different to the shepherd, but herein lies our certain comfort that He is the victor over the world. And if we are His loyal servants, 
that He will also overcome these afflictions for us. Therefore, we should now be joyous. There's much more to say about my history, much more, but alas, your pastor has only invited me for this Sunday. But I want to add here one vignette of my life, and that was in the summer of 1519, a plague struck and came upon the area of Zurich, the Black Death. I was actually on vacation at the time that this came upon the city, but rather than staying on vacation, even though I was weak and exhausted from my work, I hurried back to the city to minister to the victims. Before long, I too caught the disease. I seemed likely to perish, but my work was not done, and I recovered from that. I happened to write some poems that have been, I hear they've been preserved from that time of the disease and how near to death I was. And I wonder if I could share them with you in the hopes that you too would be encouraged to resign everything to the Lord. Here's what I wrote in my sickness. Help me, O Lord, my strength and rock. Lo, at the door I hear death's knock. Uplift thine arm once pierced for me that conquered death and set me free. Yet if thy voice in life's midday recalls my soul, then I obey. In faith and hope, earth I resign, secure of heaven, for I am thine. My pains increase, haste to console, for fear and woe seize body and soul. Death is at hand. My senses fail. My tongue is dumb. Now Christ prevail. Lo, Satan strains to snatch his prey. I feel his grasp. Must I give way? He harms me not. I fear no loss. For here I lie beneath thy cross. And then in my healing, I said, My God, my Lord, healed by the hand upon the earth, once more I stand. Let sin no more rule over me. My mouth shall sing alone to Thee. Though now delayed, my hour will come, involved perchance in deeper gloom. But let it come. With joy I'll rise and bear my yoke straight to the skies. My, wo- my time would come. It would come on October 11th of the year 1531 as I went out of the city to try to hold back Catholic invaders to the city. It was a different world back then. And as I went out as a chaplain into that battlefield, that's where I died, which is why I hear there's a statue of me in the city of Zurich and I have the Bible in one hand and a sword in the other. Can I encourage you, dear brethren, in two ways before I depart and catch a flight back to Zurich? Number one, would you, brethren, hold fast to the Word of God? 2 Timothy 3 talks about persecution and the Word, and allow me to read a portion of it to you from 2 Timothy 3, 12-17. 
Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You might as well know the facts. Verse 13 says, While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. May you base your life and your doctrine on the Word of God and hold fast to it. I'd also share and implore you to hold fast to the only mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. He's the only righteous one. He's the only one worthy of our glory and our adoration. We reformers, though godly men and women of the past who sparked a movement to come back to Christ and faith in Christ and to God's glory, we too were men and women who were sinners, as I've already said. And even of your church leaders today, if you look back again in my life, you'll find faults, things at times may be quite disturbing to you. But you will never err if you only look to Christ Jesus. I encourage you, learn from my time period. Learn from history. Study it. It would do well in your day as in mine. But know that there is only one Savior. None of the Reformers offered that. Only Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota. 